this my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. Well, good evening. Glad you're back with us this evening. You know, there are some words that just go together, like hugs and kisses, right? Socks and shoes, uh, peanut butter, jelly, salt and pepper, right? I mean, there's just certain words that go together. But how about these? Conviction and what? We don't really know, do we? Maybe we don't see conviction and compassion going together as much as we probably should. But those two should be inseparable as well. As God's people, we should have conviction and compassion. But unfortunately, all too often what happens is we have one and not the other. We see a lot of Christians who have conviction, but no compassion, like the Pharisees. They had a lot of conviction, very little compassion. But then on the other side of the extreme, you have those who have a lot of compassion, but no real standards, no real morals. They're compassionate, but with no real conviction. Paul talks about this imbalance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he writes, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. You know, I think Paul is saying here what I've said many times just in a different way, and that is you can be straight as a gun barrel doctrinally, but empty as a gun barrel spiritually. I think Paul is basically saying that you, you don't just have to be right doctrinally. You have to be right devotionally as well. Don't be so dedicated to a religion that you lose sight of the motivation. I think Paul's message can really be summed up this way. Do right things with the right heart. And that's something that Jesus spoke to the religious elite over and over again about. Conviction means very little without compassion. Here's my point for bringing all this up. Homosexuality is wrong. Period. Exclamation point. It's wrong. And there's no way to make it right. I don't care what politics says. I don't care what mainstream media tells you. I don't even care what a professor or a teacher tells you. God is against it. However, with that conviction should come the compassion that says, even though it's wrong, we care about you, the sinner. We care deeply about you. And we want you to know that God cares deeply about you. Leviticus 18 and 22, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. What's an abomination? The male that does this? It says the abomination is the sin. That's the abomination. God hates the sin, loves the sinner. That is a concept that is found throughout the Bible. He wants what is best for his people. And because God wants what is best for his people, he has set up these boundaries, these restrictions, because he knows that they are for our own good. 
and that when we cross those boundaries or when we get outside of those boundaries, we hurt ourselves, we hurt our relationship with others, and more importantly, we hurt our relationship with God. You see, we're already dissimilar from God. I mean, from the very beginning, we're already dissimilar. There's already this moral chasm that exists between us and God. He is holy. We are not outside of Christ. But Jesus, of course, is the great bridge builder. He crosses that chasm so that we can be in the presence of a holy God. Who did Jesus hang out with? Who did he dine with? The sinners. Do you think that that group included homosexuals? Why not, right? I'll be honest with you. I don't understand same-sex attraction. I don't understand it. I'll tell you what I do understand. I understand sin. I understand the struggle that comes with sin. I understand temptation, and I understand the struggle not to give in to that temptation. If anyone should understand the heinousness of sin, it should be God's people. And if anyone should understand the grace and mercy and love of God, it should be God's people. We should be a balanced people, balanced with conviction and compassion. I think a lot of our disdain over the homosexual issue is that we see it being thrust upon us by some in our culture, and that makes us angry. And I'll be honest with you, that makes me angry as well, but it also saddens me. It saddens me that 50 religious organizations have come out in favor of homosexuality. It saddens me that many religious folks see nothing wrong with it and are very accepting of it. That saddens me because there are people who are dying in sin and no one's willing to go to them and say, you're wrong. But let me tell you how you can be made right. Of course, it becomes even more difficult when we factor in the, the idea or the theory that someone is born this way, right? But at the end of the day, it's wrong. God loves you. And we need to be a people who are showing God's love. Convicted about sin, that it's wrong, but compassionate towards the sinner. There are two things that we cannot ignore when we talk about this subject. The science and the Bible. So let's look first at the science. Evolution is considered to be an airtight case for where we came from. It's not. There's a reason it's called a theory, and it's not even a good theory when you dig into it. But let's, for the moment, say that evolution is absolutely correct. 100% evolution is where we came from. Let's just go with that for a few moments. Indulge me a little bit. What do we see in the face of evolution with homosexuality? How does it stack up in the face of evolution? And the answer is not well. The laws of evolution and that of genetic succession are rather harsh when it comes to any trait that prevents reproduction. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Even to the non-scientist. There is a simple formula that we could, that we could show here that, that really proves it beyond the shadow of a doubt. And that simple formula is one gay man plus one gay man equals zero children. There's no rebuttal to that. There's no refuting it, right? 
flip it around and look at it from the female side. Go back, say, at least 10 generations and assume any fertility rates that you want to for a lesbian and a straight woman and calculate what would happen. Even a slight difference would cause a homosexual gene to rapidly fade from population. But think about it this way. If the fertility rates were the same, how could women be considered lesbians if they were having the same amount of heterosexual sex to produce an equivalent number of children? Even if a tendency toward homosexuality were genetic, every time that gene expressed itself, it would fall out of the gene pool. And any genetics teacher worth their salt is going to chuckle at the notion that homosexuality can be genetic if there is no mechanism for homosexuals to pass their genes on to their children as frequently as heterosexual genes are passed to their children. Does that make sense? The evidence, which science reveres, right? I mean, science is all about evidence. The evidence does not support the notion that one is born gay. Folks, they have not found a homosexual gene. And it's not for lack of trying. But what you need to understand for this lesson and for next week when we talk about the transgender issue, what you need to understand is that much of this is driven by a political agenda. And it's scary. Especially like we'll talk about next week with the transgender issue psychologists, psychiatrists are saying, folks, this is a mental issue. But in the name of politics, we're glossing over that. And in fact, scientists, geneticists, people who come out and have dedicated their lives to studying these different things, studying genetics and these different things, are being told, you can't publish this. Because it doesn't support our agenda. They're being told to skew the data. Or they're being fired. They're being, they're being exiled from their profession because they are not promoting the agenda. And that's scary stuff. You know, there's a gentleman by the name of Simon LeVay who published a study that indicated subtle differences between the brains of homosexuals and the brains of heterosexuals. Some took these findings and ran with them, using them as the so-called proof text for the homosexual gene. And here is what Dr. LeBay published. He said, it's important to stress what I didn't find. I did not prove that homosexuality is genetic. Or did I find a genetic cause for being gay? I didn't show that gay men are born that way. The most common mistake people make in interpreting my work. Nor did I locate a gay center in the brain, he said. Again, be aware that facts are getting skewed, that things are being taken and, and crafted in a way that support an agenda. The science does not support the cause. There is no homosexual gene. People are not born gay. As if God would create something that is inherently sinful, that he would create someone that he is automatically opposed to, right? Are some predisposed to homosexuality? I think you know, we could go there with a the discussion, couldn't we? Maybe based on the way that they were raised, the environment they grew up in, 
Maybe they're more predisposed to that lifestyle, but that's a very different thing than claiming that someone is actually born gay. Of course, science isn't the only place that we have to go. Although some would discredit it, the Bible speaks quite a bit to this subject. But understand that those who have a clear agenda against the Bible, against Christians who are standing up against any sin, but especially homosexuality, understand that they know the so-called rhetoric that we throw out there. They know the Bible, or at least the passages that we like to turn to. For instance, you look at the, the incident with Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19. Some argue that Sodom was destroyed because specifically of the sin of homosexuality. That's not exactly true. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah had a lot of problems. Homosexuality just had to be one of them. But we read that Lot, that Lot had some men that gathered uh, from the city that gathered outside his door and demanded that Lot hand the visitors over to them so that they could have sex with them. So some men gather outside Lot's door after these visitors come to see Lot and they demand that Lot hands these visitors over to them so that they can have sex with them. In the letter of Jude, there's a reference to this. Starting in verse 7, it says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So Sodom and Gomorrah serve as an example, an example of the eternal consequences that come from engaging in sexual immorality. But those who support homosexuality would say, Yes, but Chris, that's talking about rape. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about monogamous, loving relationships. And if a man and another man want to enter into a loving, monogamous relationship, who's to stop them? Sur surely God is okay with that. Leviticus 20 and 13 reads, If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. So God speaks very pointedly against the sin of homosexuality here, even attaches the death penalty to it in the Old Testament. But some would say, yes, but within Leviticus, we also see that you're not supposed to sow the uh, two types of the same seed in the same field. I mean, there's a lot of restrictions there, and we're not Israelites. We don't live under the old law, so quit applying that to us. Over in the New Testament, we see that God's view of homosexuality has not changed. In Romans 1, 26 and 27, it reads, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Paul is talking about individuals who exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. These people exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And it's because of this that God gave them over to degrading passions. But the one that supports homosexuality would say, yes, but a lot of this is really centered or focused on idolatry. And there are Christian people who just want to be happy in a marriage, even if that's with someone of the same sex. How do we answer these rebuttals? Where do we take the focus? Well, I think we go to Hebrews chapter 13, 
And if you go to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, it says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Sex outside of marriage is sinful. So the next question is, what is a marriage? Well, God answers that question as well. Genesis 2, 22 and following, The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What is marriage as defined by God? One man, one woman, intended for life. Sex outside the confines of marriage is wrong. It's sinful. Sex was intended to be a gift from God enjoyed within the covenant of marriage. Scripture reveals that any, anything outside of God's created purpose for sex is sinful and destructive. Matthew chapter 15, verses 19 and 20 reads, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Notice the word adulteries here. Your version may use uh, the phrase sexual immorality. In the Greek... It denotes one who has unlawful intercourse. In other words, having sex outside the confines of the marriage covenant. But Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. I mean, Jesus never said that it was wrong. You know, Jesus never said pornography was wrong either. He never even spoke to incest or bestiality. Are we to assume that those things are okay just because Jesus didn't speak about them? I mean, that's a pretty dangerous proposition, right? Jesus did talk about marriage. He talked about it on more than one occasion, and he talked about one man, one woman for life. He reiterated what God spoke in Genesis chapter 2. You see, the only way to get around the plain truth of Scripture is one of two ways. Either you ignore the Bible completely, you, you just disregard a high view of Scripture, or you practice asegesis. You know what asegesis is? That is, interpreting the Bible the way you want to interpret it, rather than interpreting it the way that God would have you to interpret it. In other words, it's what do I want the Bible to say, rather than what does the Bible actually say? What does God want me to hear? You know, homosexuality is not a political issue. This is not a civil rights issue. This is a biblical issue. And there are some who say, but I don't have a choice. I was born this way. I'd give anything to change it. It's just the way that I am. God made me this way. Therefore, it can't be wrong. Look, we can discuss all the different factors that come into play that make a person have an, an, an orientation. We can look at genetics. We can look at, you know, born this way, their upbringing or whatever it is. But when it comes to orientation, let me just say this. It doesn't matter. If they find out tomorrow that there is indeed a gay gene, if they find out tomorrow that people are actually born homosexual, it won't make a difference. It won't change my faith at all, and it shouldn't make, it shouldn't make any difference in your faith. You know why? Because your orientation isn't licensed to do whatever you want to do. 
I am a heterosexual man. I am attracted to women. One woman in particular. I'll let you figure out who it is. My orientation is heterosexual. So does that mean that I can fulfill that orientation in any way that I please? That my orientation is licensed and I can step outside the confines of marriage and I can have sex with any woman that I want to. Is that what that means? So a person who's so-called born gay, do they have a right then to fulfill that orientation in a way that is against God's will? What about the man whose wife has had a stroke and she is unable to have sex with him? He still has the urge, he still has the desire. That is his orientation. Is he free to step outside the confines of marriage and fulfill that orientation, that urge, any way that he wants to? No. Our orientation is not a license to do anything that we want in any way that we want, especially not to step outside the confines of marriage and, and, to, and to feel those urges or those desires in any way that we choose. Just because you have a certain orientation, just because you have a certain urge that is inherent within you does not give you the right to act upon it. It just doesn't. I want you to notice what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 9, here's what he says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. So what was the dynamic of the early church that it was able to bring people out of homosexuality? You ever thought about that? I mean, this is written to the Corinthians of all people. They were messed up. They had all sorts of problems, including a situation when the, in which there was an incestuous affair that Paul spoke out against. And they were okay with that. They were letting that happen. So what was present within this church that allowed them to walk someone out of homosexuality? You ever thought about that? Because it says right here, such were some of you, but you have been washed, you've been sanctified. You're no longer those things. What happened? Was it the Corinthians' unity? Was it their selflessness? Was it their nobility of character? Remember, this was a church that had a lot of internal problems. It's kind of like Noah's Ark. If it wasn't for the storm outside, you couldn't stand the stench inside. You know, that's kind of what the Corinthian church was about. It was dysfunctional. How is it that this church could walk people out of, of homosexuality? And, and how can we replicate that today? Well, I think there's two things that we need to remember. And the first thing that we need to remember is that orientation is not equal to practice. Just because you have a certain orientation does not mean that you're a sinner. I may have been a heavy drinker in the past. Alcohol may have ruled my life. I may have lost my job, my marriage. I may have lost everything. But I no longer drink. I've left that behind. I have been sober for 20 years but I still struggle with it. I still have difficulty. How would you as the church react to me? Would you condemn me? 
hope not. I'm fighting. I mean, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm struggling, but I'm doing well. I don't need your condemnation. What do I need from you? I need love and compassion. I need encouragement. I need support. And so if a, if a gentleman or, or a, a woman comes in here who is struggling with same-sex attraction, and they say, you know, I'm struggling with this, but I want to leave it behind. I want to serve God faithfully. I want to be someone who makes my father proud. How do we react? Well, unfortunately, some churches would condemn them. Why? We should be encouraging them. Their so-called orientation is not their practice. So we help them fight. We help them to, to overcome the temptation. We help them to overcome those urges. We also need to remember to avoid blanket condemnation. I think we're really good at this sometimes. We just assume that anyone who is caught up in any sin, they're just all bad, they're all heinous people, they're all awful people, and there's no, we have no use for them. It, it's, it so frustrates me to get on Facebook and see preachers, preachers saying stuff like they need to hang this guy. And then they reference an article about Harvey Weinstein. Listen, boy, he, he sure seems like a rascal, I'll give you that. But you're putting out there for the world to see they need to hang this guy. I mean, <laughs> really? But we, we just make these blanket condemnations. We assume that anyone who's dealing with sin just doesn't want out of it. They enjoy it. They promote it. They're forcing it down our throats. And that's not always the case. Not everyone who is dealing with sin knows the truth or knows how to overcome whatever it is that they are dealing with. As I said, we of all people should know about sin. And we of all people should know about the grace of God. So avoid blanket condemnation. How do you know unless you go to that person and show them the love of Christ? We need to stop turning these things into or buying into the political agendas and be Jesus. Stop being political about this and stop politicizing all this and be Jesus. Because we're turning people away by the way that we interact on social media or in public. We should be seeking to make a change and make a difference in people's lives through the gospel. That's the only way we're going to really make a difference. Don't assume that people don't want the truth. Paul said, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. I want every single person at the Oldham Lane, every single person outside of the Oldham Lane Church of Christ to know that we love people. Oldham Lane is pro-life. We believe in the sanctity of human life, but not just the unborn. Everybody. All life. Even the life of the most heinous sinner, we're not going to run from you. In fact, we'll run to you. Because we want you to have what we have. And we are going to do our best to help you overcome whatever it is that you are dealing with. I want us to be known for that. I want you to want to be known for that. We should be a people 
who are seeking to reach the lost with no other precursor, no other definition needs to be put on that, just the lost, whether it's the homosexual, whoever. We are about people, and we want people to know that we love people, and we want what's best for them. We want them to know that Oldham Lane is a safe place for them to come and to work on being more Christ-like. And let me just say this. You are not helping the cause of Christ when you are more concerned about the peripheral things than you are about the gospel. As I said, many Christians are imbalanced, and it shows up in social media, in different areas. It's a case where conviction gets in the way of compassion. Remember to be balanced. No one is converted by your snide little Facebook comments or your one-liners intended to, make, to take pot shots at the homosexual community. That doesn't do anyone any good. may make you feel better about yourself, may get a little bit of a laugh, but we should be better than that. We should be above that. This is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. I don't care what our country says. I only care what God says. That's only what matters. So quit allowing the other peripheral things to drive the conversation. This is not Christians versus homosexuals. That's not what this is. I mean, some would like to make it that, but that's not what this is. The enemy is never people. The enemy is Satan. And he may have a profound effect on people's hearts and on their souls. But we've got to see the true enemy. And we've got to be willing to go to that person, no matter how heinous, no matter how egregious their sin is, and at least be able to say, can I help you? Now, there's times we may have to shake the dust off our feet and go on. But it shouldn't be without us first trying to reach them. Convicted and compassionate. Let's remember that as we go throughout this week. Some of you are coming in contact with people that I never get to reach. Make sure you are a balanced Christian. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this occasion, this, this evening that we can come together again on this Lord's Day to worship you, to learn, to learn from your word. And as we leave here tonight, we pray that we be a people who are convicted, who are compassionate, we pray that we set aside our political agendas and, and, and all the things that maybe hinder us from being a positive influence in the world around us, that we seek only to share the gospel with those who are lost. That we have the conviction that is needed to stand up to those who, who would mock Christianity and the Bible, but that we are a people about love and grace and mercy for those who so desperately need it. Help us, God, to be more like Jesus. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you have a need tonight that we can help you with, if you are uh, struggling with something, you like the prayers of this church family, perhaps you'd like to study the Bible with someone, or, or perhaps you'd like to know about what the next step is in, 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 in being more Christ-like and, and following Jesus, maybe you're ready for baptism. As we say every week, don't leave here without being right with God. And when you leave here tonight, be ready to go and change the world. Stephen's going to lead us in a song. If you have a need, come now as we stand and as we sing.